So the first couple weeks of January, I spent almost every day, an hour or two every day, in Sparrow Hospital. And I was visiting someone from our church family that was going through quite a, a tragic thing, and it's not my story to tell. Um, but there's something that happens when you hang out in the hospital every single day uh, for multiple weeks, and, and that is that you just begin to notice the people. Uh, there's, there's always people leaning against walls or uh, sitting in lobby chairs, and, and some of them are, are sipping coffee, and some of them are staring into the distance. And, and every single one of these people is usually facing some kind of unimaginable pain. And over the couple of weeks that I was there, uh, some faces just began to be familiar. You, you saw them there all the time. And then some faces you would only see one time. And you'd see them and then they were there and they were gone. And you, be, you begin to realize in moments like that that there is pain all around us. And if you have not had pain in your life, it, it's coming. <laughs> And sometimes it happens just like in an instant. And sometimes it just feels like it's never going to end. And as followers of Jesus, uh, let's just be honest. Sometimes this sort of pain can cause our faith to sputter. Let's just admit that. Because, we, you know, we believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus, this, this carpenter that was raised in the small town of Galilee 2,000 years ago, was and is the Son of God. We, we, we believe that he, he lived a perfect life, that he, he died a sacrificial death, that he, he, he rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death, ascended to the right hand of God the Father to set everything right. But the question still remains, if Jesus is really the Son of God, why doesn't he fix everything. You know, we're working our way right now through the book of Mark. And we've already seen some pretty remarkable stuff. We've seen Jesus do some remarkable healings and uh, casting out demons and miracles, but just one stroll through the corridors of Sparrow Hospital, and it seems like Jesus hasn't done enough. You know, Jesus is God. Couldn't he have figured out a way <laughs> to just kind of tip the scales, right? Put his finger on the scales somehow so that, that, that everyone would just start believing in him or, or maybe even he, he could erase the pain and sorrow or, or make it so that um, we wouldn't need the hospital anymore. Or we, um, he wouldn't have to even take away our free will. He's smart enough. He could have figured something out, right? Uh, so today we're looking at the two intersecting stories that you just had read, heard read. And the reason I had the whole story read to you is because these two overlapping stories of two with people with wildly different backgrounds are both confronted with pain. And they're confronted with pain that is way too big for either one of them to handle. And if you were paying attention as you heard that passage read, well, one of those people, the pain came on in seemingly an instant. There was a, this, this immediate need, and the other one seemed to have been going on for a long time. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can flip tap or swipe your way to chapter five, and that's where we're gonna be, uh, the, the whole section that we just heard read, uh, starting in verse 21. And so let's think about these two people that we just heard uh, read about. The first person is, is a guy named Jairus. And Jairus was a, a Jewish synagogue official, which means that he is a man with stature in his community. He was a, a family man. He, he likely lived in a big house and had a lot of money. He was, he was basically at the top of the food chain, right, in their society. And yet his precious 12-year-old daughter was lying on her deathbed 
We don't know what happened, but presumably she likely got sick and maybe got sick really fast and, 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 and he didn't know what to do. The second person that we met, um, we're not given her name. And I actually think that that's probably significant because in her culture, she would have been considered invisible. This is a woman who had been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. And in her culture, that would have made her akin to walking pollution. So for 12 years, she suffered, which is as long as Jairus's beloved daughter had been alive. There's no, there's no, uh, this story happens together for a very specific reason. Uh, this is the same 12 year period and the very synagogue that Jairus worked in, she was not allowed to go near. <laughs> she had no family that we know of. Every penny that she had was spent on quack doctors who did nothing but take her money and make the problem worse. And so now we've got these two people, right? Very, very different people. And they both teach us about trusting God when we're facing things that we think we just can't handle. And the first thing they did was so stinking obvious that we might miss it. Let me read the first chunk here, um, starting in verse um, where are we, 521. It says this, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. And one of the synagogue leaders um, named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter's dying, come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. And now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and, and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. So do you see the, the first thing that both of them did that seems just so obvious? Anyone got it? They just came to Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a couple weeks ago when we saw that child lowered through the roof that was ripped above Jesus's head. They had to overcome significant obstacles. Both of them did, but they both came to Jesus despite those obstacles. It's a running theme we're seeing here in the book of Mark. So like, think about Jairus. As a synagogue official, he was part of the religious elite that to say the least was not getting along with Jesus, <laughs> right? That's what we've seen already in Mark. We, we know that in a synagogue, maybe Jairus is, probably not Jairus is, but maybe Jairus is, Jesus had just healed a guy with a shriveled hand, right? And he had done that on the Sabbath and it ticked off all the religious guys. That information was out there about Jesus. So whether or not that was Jairus's synagogue or another synagogue, Jairus would have known, this is the guy who's making all of my, my guys angry, right? And so it's very notable that it is very possible that this guy had already been face-to-face -face with Jesus at some point maybe even in opposition to Jesus. Jesus did not have a good reputation, but his 12-year-old daughter was dying. If you've ever faced that kind of unimaginable pain, you'll do anything. No doctor could make her better. She was on her deathbed. She was taking the risk. He stuck his, his pride on the back burner and said, I'm gonna just talk to that guy, that carpenter, that guy that everybody's angry at. And the kicker is, he so much wanted his daughter to be healed that he was willing to do it publicly. And do you remember what it says? He dropped at Jesus's feet. So not only is this guy taking this risk for like his job and his livelihood and his stature in the community, he's doing it publicly in front of everybody, laying at Jesus's feet. And then we have this unnamed woman. 
she kind of approaches this different. Like, like for her, the Old Testament law said she was unclean, so she was supposed to keep her distance from everybody. But imagine what it would have been like to have your, your lifeblood just like, like ebbing out of you every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year. For 12 years, she could just feel her body bleeding out. And then she, she had no one to talk to because she was not allowed to be near anyone. So she was alone. And she hears about Jesus. So her approach is, I'm just going to sneak up. <laughs> I'm just going to see. I'm not supposed to be around people, but I'm going to, I'm going to sneak up and I'm going to, I'm going to reach out. And I'm just going to touch just like in some translation says the hem of his garment. I just want to get my, my fingers on the edge of his coat. Um, and the reason that she did that is there were many people that believed uh, back then that a person's power was transferred by their clothing, Right? Kind of like, you've seen televangelists, you know, I'll sell you my hanky. I tested my theory this week. I went to the Rio Town venue. If you guys know Justin Dutmers, he's our pastor down there. Uh, beautiful head of hair. I thought, it's worth a shot, right? So I, I, stole, I stole his beanie out of his office, slept with it on all week, nothing, right? No power transference, right? I mean, think about it. It's kind of this woman, it's kind of nuts, right? She's misguided. What a dummy. She thought that touching Jesus' clothes was going to somehow heal her. But it did. <laughs> Verse 29, instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Every day, every week, every year, she sensed in her body the blood ebbing out of her. And then instantly, she knew it was done. Now here's the deal. I think we're all very much like one of these two people and not, and, and, and not just in like physical pain or suffering or all those sorts of things. Um, I think that sometimes we tend to feel like we may be too important to come to Jesus. And some of us might think, we're not important enough to come to Jesus. And so it's almost like our pride and our arrogance or our guilt and our shame are getting in the way. Think about Jairus, sitting there with his 12-year-old daughter thinking, am I a complete and utter hypocrite with what I'm about to do? My, my daughter's dying, but my faith, everything, I mean, just think about it. He honestly believed in his faith. He, he wasn't an evil guy. He was sincere, and his, his faith wasn't doing anything for him. And so he's like, I'm going to go talk to this Jesus. I'm going to go fall at his feet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg him. And he's got to be thinking, my God, am I a hypocrite? But that God was chiseling away at his pride. For the unnamed woman... The guilt and the shame had to be so powerful. People in her society believed that your suffering was directly linked to something you had done. And so she had to wonder, have I been in sin for 12 years? Do I have something going on? And she had to be racking her brain trying to figure out what's going on. So she's creeping through the crowd, breaking the law. She's thinking, oh my, my God, <laughs> am I a hypocrite for what I'm doing? But that God was helping her overcome her guilt and her shame. What I think is interesting about Jairus is by the time he gets to Jesus, he's like, uh, Jesus, he gets it, begs, get, begs, he drops down onto the ground, begs, and he says, I've got a little girl and she's dying. And Jesus doesn't say, it's about time, you little worm. 
<laughs> right? I have been face to face with you religious guys uh, for, for all this time. And finally, one of you has come to me. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, let's go. Let's go see how she's doing. And the whole crowd starts to go along. And remember, these, the crowd loved to watch Jesus' miracles. They, just, they loved, some of them were there because they loved his message, but a lot of them loved the show. I mean, think about it. It's like water, poof, wine, right? It's just, so they're like, I, we get to see a healing, right? And so they're all excited about this. And so they, they all start pressing into Jesus. As the crowd is pressing in on him because they all are so excited to go see what's going to happen here. And, 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 that, and Jairus had to be so nervous, right? Because now he's thinking, oh my gosh, all these people are coming to my house. Like, if this doesn't work, I'm toast, right? I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my stature. I'm going to lose everything. And so they're walking along. He's just feeling this. And then the unnamed woman just reaches through the crowd and pushes her way up and grabs the hem of Jesus's coat, verse 30. And immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said, let me just translate this in an old paraphrase. Who's not touching you, Jesus? They're like, right? You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? Are you kidding? Everyone's touching you. But he was looking around to see who had done this. Now, but think about this. This woman had just faced 12 years of shame and guilt, and she had the guts to reach out to Jesus. She had felt unclean, unworthy for so long. Have you ever been there? Maybe your guilt and shame is the product of something you've done. Maybe your guilt and shame is the product of something someone has done to you. Or maybe, like this unnamed woman, your guilt and shame has come from something that was completely outside of your control. But regardless of where that guilt and shame comes from, May I encourage you, it's time to go to Jesus. Sometimes, you're just gonna have to get past the guilt and the shame and quietly sneak up to Jesus. <laughs> Maybe it's just mechanical. <laughs> you just gotta sing the song. You just gotta read the words. You just gotta pray the prayers. You just got to quietly sneak up and touch him. And if that's where you're at, if it's just, it just, just go that far. She touched him and all of a sudden she just was instantly healed and she tries to sneak away. And Jesus is like, who touched me? And she had to be like, dang it. <laughs> right now. Now, why did Jesus do that? You know, it's almost like he's embarrassing her. Why didn't he just kind of look at her and give her a little subtle, Right. So she knows, he knows, she wanders away, power went out from him, we're all set, right? Why did he want her to identify herself in front of everybody? Well, I think that she had to come forward for a couple reasons. The first was for her. She had to get past this misguided belief that Jesus' coat healed her. That there was something magical about Jesus. I think Jesus was drawing her out so that she would know that he was not a miracle machine. He was a person. He, he was, he's God. And he needed her to know that this healing wasn't a mechanical thing. It was a, it was a personal thing. But to, to learn this, she had to come forward. Look at verse 33 and 34. This, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
probably just kind of spilled out, right? Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Have you ever experienced the, the personal nature of Jesus? Maybe you've gone to him mechanically over the years like she did and, and, and God intervenes in a very personal way. I have a story I wanna tell. Something happened for me last year that I've told a handful of people that I trust and I'm about to blow that up a little bit. <laughs> I was kind of in a little bit of a dark place and it was just kind of one of those things last year where just work, being a pastor was kind of tough and things were just kind of piling up and piling up and I was just thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know that I can do this anymore. It's just, it's, it, was, it was that kind of a season. And I went on a retreat with a bunch of pastor friends and we went down to Georgia to uh, the Intercoastal Waterway, which is just beautiful right off the Atlantic Ocean right there. And uh, we're just, we spend time together twice a year and we just talk about how life is going and how ministry is going. And it's really just a kind of a healing time. And it's just really great. And so we were just talking the first day and I was just sharing about how I was just afraid. And I just was like, I don't know if I can do this. It's just, just really difficult. And I was kind of freaking out a little bit. And um, the guys were all encouraging me, just sharing scripture with me, encouraging me, praying with me. It was really kind of cool. And the next morning I got up nice and early because I wanted to watch the sunrise over the intercoastal waterway. And so I got up early and I went out and I sat on this, uh, this rocking chair and I put my AirPods in and I turned on the Dwell Bible app, which is something I use that reads scripture to you. And it just kind of reads a plan. And the plan I was doing at the time was reading a little Old Testament or a little bit of a New Testament. And so I'm just sitting there um, listening. And the very first passage that pops up um, was a passage that back in 2006, God used in my life in Deuteronomy to, to help me feel confident in staying at Riverview and being a pastor here instead of going and planting a church. And it was, and it was I felt a little bit weird because it felt like one of those things where you just go like, okay, God, speak to me from the Bible. You open a point, which I don't recommend, right? Um, and, but it was like, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool that in this time I'm going through this difficulty, this whole thing like this. And then all of a sudden the sky got really red and, and I started to try to remember that poem. Remember that poem? It's like red skies at night, sailors de delight, red skies at morning. So let's take warning, right? So I was like, oh, so then I got thinking about that. I was like, oh, thunderstorms are coming. And so I was just thinking about the storms and now I'm not listening to the Bible at all. It's all mechanical now. It's just kind of playing in my head, but I'm just thinking, oh, red skies, it's going to rain today. That kind of stinks. We're out here in the city. Just my brain is now completely off topic. Um, and then the passage switches from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the passage in Luke where Jesus said to his disciples, you can look at the sky and determine the weather and yet you can't tell the signs of the times. And, and then right then the sun kind of pops over the horizon. I don't know what to do with that. It weirds me out to even tell you. I don't think every sunrise is a sign. But I will tell you what. I was coming to Jesus mechanically. And he felt very personal to me that day. Sometimes you just need to grab the hem of Jesus' coat this woman had waited so long to come to Jesus. So long. And what happens when she chooses, Jesus chooses to delay? Remember, there's another person in the story. 
Jairus. Jairus is part of this whole crowd and he, he's cruising right along with Jesus and he's nervous and he had to be thinking, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, Jesus, we got places to be, right? He's like, we, have, we got places to be. And Jesus then stops and says, who touched me? And he's like, who cares, right? Like, like if I'm him, I'm like, you know what? This is like the secretary of state's office. I pulled my number out, show me your number. Mine is ahead of yours, right? That's how I would have felt. So then Jesus stops, who's touching me? Who's not touching you, right? And then he has this interaction with this woman and he tells her, oh, but your faith has saved you. And while that's happening, and Jairus is standing right there, verse 35, while he's still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's home and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Devastating. What do you think happened to that little tiny bit of hope? This guy had just put everything on the line. He risked his job and his, his, his stature and his reputation. He, he risked it all. And now it's gone. And this woman, we don't even know her name. This invisible, untouchable woman gets healed. Great. And Jesus takes a sweet old time that's what would have been on my heart. Jesus delays. My daughter dies. Are you kidding? And he just hangs his head and he walks away. But that's not the end of the story because that's not ever the end of the story with Jesus. When Jesus overheard what he said, what was said, he, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid. Only believe. This is the second reason I think Jesus had to call that woman out. He was, yes, showing her love. Love to this invisible, downtrodden, outcast woman who believed she wasn't good enough for him. Who, and he was forcing Jairus, who thought he was too important for Jesus, to learn from her. What did he say to her? Your faith has saved you. Now, Jairus' faith was about to be seriously tested. Because whether he knew it or not, he had to hear the woman's story for what was coming next. He needed to, 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 to see somebody who he probably looked down on be healed for his heart's sake. I believe another reason that Jesus delayed was to let the situation get worse. Because sometimes... It'll get worse before it gets better. Sometimes when you pray for something, it'll get worse before it gets better. The unnamed woman's good news was Jairus' bad news. 12 years of bleeding healed and 12 years of joy with his daughter gone. That moment of despair is Jesus' moment of opportunity. Let's be honest. I'm gonna to talk to the Christians for a second. Ever bring your big problems to Jesus and you pray for help and it's like nothing? It's like Jesus just delays? How does that feel? Do you think, is Jesus forgetting about me? Is he streaming Netflix? Is he, is it? Or maybe Jesus is teaching you something through the delay. In fact, I wonder if what Jesus wants to teach us is often sitting right next to us. Someone else 
in our community who he is working through, whose faith we can see so that we can apply it to our moment in that delay. Both of these people were, had, had demonstrated belief in contrast to everyone around him in these hopeless situations. The, this woman came because she knew that Jesus could heal her deepest need. The, the crowd just wanted to show, uh, right? But, but sometimes we just need to say, there's another person here I can learn from. This woman came for Jesus to heal her deepest wound, and for Jairus, his daughter is now dead. By the time they get to his house, it's surrounded by mourners. The whole deal here is that they paid mourners, right? Um, and the idea was as soon as someone died, a bunch of people who are professional criers came to your house to cry until the family got there so everyone would know someone had died. It was like a, a weird thing. Like, um, but that, that was the thing. And, and so there's all these people, they're all, there's this commotion, they, they're, everybody's crying and weeping. You remember what Jesus said to, to Jairus before they started moving toward his home? He said, don't be afraid, just believe. And when they got to this crowd of professional mourners, Jairus had a choice to make. He could either listen to the professionals who knew what death looked like or believe in Jesus who he had just seen heal this woman. Verse 39, he, that's Jesus, went in and said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now we know the end of the story, but what is your response if you're there and you don't know the end of the story? Your response is verse 40. They laughed at him. Let's just be honest. This guy's an idiot. We're professional mourners. We know dead, right? But he put them all outside. He didn't want the crowd there. This wasn't for them. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Think about this. Jesus had said, she's just sleeping. The crowd laughs. Jesus says to Jairus and his wife and, and, and the family, come on, come in with me. What do you do? It's another time for a choice. Do I believe the professional mourners? Or do I believe Jesus? Do I take this risk and go behind this door? Jesus said, she's just sleeping. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which by the way is really, really wonderful. It says here, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Talitha. This is kind of like saying, hey, sweetie. It's a tender little girl. Hey, hey, hey. Kum, get up. Hey, sweetie. Get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. I love that. It's kind of like Mark. You know Mark, he, who's writing this, how he forgets things? He said, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. She's 12. It's an important part of the story. He doesn't tell us until there. Um, at this, they were utterly astounded. <laughs> she woke up. She walked. And Jairus's world had to just go woof. <laughs> this is what happens when you have faith despite the odds. Here's what's gonna happen. If you have faith in Jesus in difficult situations in your life despite the odds, people will laugh in your face. And some of them are gonna be professionals. Professionals who know the facts. <laughs> There'll be scientists who say that they can explain away exactly how we came into existence. Physicians who will say, um, you shouldn't bother praying, that's worthless. The financial experts that will say, you shouldn't be generous um, because you, you can't afford it. And sometimes faith flies in the face of evidence. 
And I'm not telling you ignore science. I'm not telling you to not get the chemo. I'm not telling you not to go to a financial planner. What I am saying is that sometimes faith smacks the face of evidence. Let me just ask you a bunch of questions for you just to consider in the next couple minutes. What are the things in your life right now that you need to trust God for? What are the trials that you're facing right now that seem too much to bear? Where are you going to get answers for that stuff? Are you coming to Jesus? Or are the obstacles in the crowd ahead of you too much? Or you haven't even thought to bring that thing to Jesus? Are you willing to expose the deepest corners of your life to him? Are you persisting in your faith when you think that it's beyond hope? No matter what other people say or do. Listen again to the simple words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Only believe. You want to see my favorite part of the story? It's actually kind of buried way at the end. I love it. It's, it's awesome. Verse 43. And then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, which he kept doing and no one was ever listening to him. And told them to give her something to eat. Did you catch the tenderness there? He's like, you know, she's probably hungry. Jesus even cares about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the story of these two people. Um, and, and we confess that so often we are like one or the other or both all at the same time. <laughs> we think we're too important for you or not important enough. We think we've got it all together or we're just at our wit's end. We just pray that whatever pain is going on in our life right now, whatever fear is going on in our life right now, whatever suffering is going on in our life right now, help us to bring it to you. Help our faith to not waver against all the odds. When the professionals around us say (laughs) that it's crazy to believe in you, Like someone posted on one of my social media accounts this week, I can't believe a grown man would believe this stuff. (laughs) Help us to keep our faith in you. We thank you that you're tender, but you're not afraid to call us out, to bring everything out into the open, not just for our sake, but for the sake of those around us. And so we just pray that you would keep doing that even when it's uncomfortable to us. We thank you for your healing touch and we ask you to help us to believe in you again. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.